Weekly Signals, every Tuesday morning from 8 to 9 a.m. Join me, Mike Casper, and Nathan Callahan for the best in reality-based radio. That's Weekly Signals. Check out the website at weeklysignals.com. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM and KUCI.org on the web. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer and co-host with Mari. And you can learn more about our guests and shows at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. Mari's a local attorney and author of several books, including two, her two new books, Safeguard Your Identity and From Victim to Victor, a step-by-step guide for ending the nightmare of identity theft. She's testified many times in the California legislature and U.S. Congress and hosted her own 90-minute PBS special that, uh, last year, which they still play once in a while, called Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. She's been on 48 Hours, Dateline, CNN, O'Reilly Factor, Geraldo, uh, recently on Montel, Montel <laughs> and many other shows. To learn more, you can visit identitytheft.org. So let's get started, Marie. You know, speaking of Montel, just a few weeks ago when I was on the show, I met a woman who has really transformed her life. Uh, she did a great job on the Montel show talking about her experiences as a well, as an identity thief and a former methamphetamine addict. So she has really been to hell and back. And I was really impressed with what she said, uh, how she said it, her conviction and the way she's turning her life around and so I was fortunate enough to get her to agree to come on our show tonight all the way from Colorado Good. so yeah so let me tell you a little bit more about Tammy Tammy Carroll is a Colorado resident and she is a recovering methamphetamine addict she's a mom of four children three of the children are living with her and the fourth one was was adopted out due to her drug addiction and the crimes that she committed so she really had to pay Quite uh, quite a bit for that. She's been clean from drugs since January eighth, two thousand three, and she told me that she'd become addicted to methamphetamine after having an abusive relationship, and and the drug addictions led her to places and to do horrible things, things she never thought she would even do. She started stealing from other people to provide for her kids and to support a drug habit, and she became involved with cashing counterfeit checks and stealing mail. You know, we've talked many times about mail theft is huge for identity theft. Um, she'd create new checks using the routing number and account numbers of the checks that she'd stolen in the mail, and she'd make new checks. After she figured out how easy it was to steal identities and money, uh, identity theft itself became an addiction for her. So she was indicted by a grand jury. She's going to tell us a little bit about that. But, and she's actually currently serving her sentence and, and paying back the money. But today she's clean. Uh, she's not committing any crimes. Uh, she has her three children with her. Um, she's, she wants to tell her story so she can help others to avoid this. Also to, to really make a difference so people will understand that the financial industry really facilitates this crime. And um, she is now the Director of Client Services at New Genesis, which is a transitional housing area for the homeless in Colorado. So I'm, I'm really thrilled that she's here with us. And uh, Tammy, it's, I'm glad that we had that opportunity to meet, and, and I'm so glad you're joining us tonight. Well, thank you, Mary. Maury. I'm very glad to, to be here and to be able to share my, my story. I know. It, it's, a, it's a rough one. So... Tammy, tell us a little bit about what was your life like before you got into methamphetamine? Um, well, I started, I, I graduated high school and I was married. I married my high school sweetheart. I was a stay-at-home mom, housewife, um, and that, that our marriage didn't last very long. And I ended up leaving my husband, and when I left my husband, I was alone for about six months, and I had become involved with somebody else I knew, and that became very abusive. 
Oh, that's that's not good. No, not at all. And was he into drugs? He did, was not into drugs. He had never done a drug in his life. He was uh, drinking. He drank very heavily. Okay, so that's an addiction in itself, right? Right. It's just a legal addiction. Exactly. So, so what? How did you get into meth, and and how did you? How did this drug, uh, this abusive relationship kind of push you in that direction? Well, the abusive relationship went on for about six years. And at this, at this time, I had already, I had two children from my, uh, my marriage. And then I had ended up pregnant with um, his baby. So I had three kids at this time. And it was just getting to the point where I thought he was going to seriously hurt me or my kids. It was... He'd pointed guns at me and shot at me and broken all the ribs on one side of my body, and it just oh. started getting really bad, and um, I just had to get away. Right, right. And I didn't, you know, I had been a stay-at-home mom. I didn't never go to college. I didn't work, so I went and lived. I took my kids and moved out and lived, went and moved in with a friend, tried to get on my feet, was working different types of jobs. I was bartending, and then I was a... Uh, a cashier at a gas station and just living with these people they introduced me to drugs and so that was a way to kind of like forget about or at least escape momentarily from some of the the horrible stuff you were going through right it was a way to it was a way to numb my feelings kind of so to speak right you know um we talked before about this and and I think we talked about this on the show about how much methamphetamine and identity theft really go together. They're really kind of like a horse and carriage. So uh, did you find that as well from your friends who were involved in meth? Oh, absolutely. I I can't think of any of them that that was doing meth that wasn't involved with it in one way or another. So so were you doing other drugs too at the same time that you were doing the meth? Uh, No, no other drugs. would have a drink every now and then. So what was it about methamphetamine? You know, I, I know it's such a, a huge drug now everywhere. So so what is it? Because I've never had it. You know, I mean, I remember in college trying to stay up late and and taking stuff, you know, diet pills to, to keep me up. But I would imagine meth is kind of like that. What is meth really like? Uh, I, it's a, uh, well, we smoked. I smoked it. That's how I did it. Oh, okay. And um, I put it in like a, it was a glass pipe, not a metal pipe. I know some people smoke like marijuana and metal pipes and stuff, but it's a glass pipe. And I smoked it, and it just, you know, it, it like I said before, it totally numbs your feelings, and you feel like you're on cloud nine. You have no other cares in the world. You're mm. full of energy to do whatever you need to do, and it's a very long-lasting energy. It doesn't just go away in an hour or two. And what's it like when it does, when you do come down? It's horrible. It's, uh, it's very, it was very difficult for me to get out of bed. I was sick. My body just ached and ached and, Mm. uh, you know, just, I, the minute I tried to get out of bed, I had to find more to feel better. Wow. So how did that affect your kids? Oh, well, they, they were eventually taken away, but before they were taken away from me, um, it was tough. You know, they, there were, they went for days without, you know, I'd sleep for three days straight. So they mm. went for days taking care of themselves. They were late for school constantly. Mm. My oldest daughter was the mom of the other kids. So How was, old was she at the time? At the time, well, it was about six years ago. Mm. So she's almost 16 now, so she was about 10. Yeah, so that's a, that's a lot of responsibility for her. Right. So, so from the math, how did you get turned on to getting into identity thief, uh, theft? Well, I, well, like I, I, the friend I had been staying with, I had finally made enough money, and I was living in a motel. I moved out of their house, and me and the kids was living in a motel, and uh, it was right around Christmas time, and I didn't have the money for gifts or for Christmas dinner or anything like that. So, the girl that had really gotten me into the mess had said well let me let me show you a way where you can make you know a good amount of money real quick like and you can go buy your kids all the christmas presents in the world and she printed up two uh payroll checks off of i'm not even sure what account that was at that time and she made it out to me and she said if you go to the u.s bank we will 
split the money, and the checks were one was made out for 900 and something, and the other was for 800 and something. So I made almost $1,000, and it took less than an hour. Right, right. And you didn't have to go to work, and you didn't have to get a babysitter, and you didn't have to do any of that. And I didn't have to do any of that, and I had, you know, all the Christmas gifts the kids wanted. Right, right. So then what happened? Well, then after that, I uh, bought, well, I, obviously we had a good Christmas. Um, after that, I was wanting to get out of the motel situation, and so, you know, I just continued to work with her, and I was cashing, cashed a few checks, saving up all the money until I was able to put a deposit on a house, and I rented us a house. So at that point, she was really doing the, the work, right, and just giving, and then just making the checks out to you, and then you just split everything with her? Right. I was kind of like working for her, I guess. Right, she right. Was, she was the one that had all the accounts and all the, you know, the computer and everything at that point. Right. You didn't have a computer, so she, she would do the work, and then you would be kind of her, her patsy, so to speak. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that's what happened. I got very tired of... of uh, most everything being put on me, like the risk. Right. I was the one in the bank. I was the one cashing the check. I was using my own name at that time. Right. And and she was doing all the computer work. Right. And she was making half the money. So I decided to figure out how to do it on my own. Right. Right. So how did you do that? I just watched. Just sat sat back while she was doing it and watched and asked questions and um, had you know I had been making money so I bought a computer and I learned what I needed to buy at Office Depot and I went and bought all the equipment and stuff I needed and I just taught myself. So what kinds of things did you use? You just bought the the, the checks that you can buy ready-made? Yeah you at Office Depot you can buy um, the check paper, you can buy personal or payroll, you uh, buy the Versa check program to put onto your computer mm-hmm. and it comes with all the bank logos and everything you need. Right. I remember it was great on, on the Montel show. They did that B-roll showing how to do it and how easy it is to do it. And, you know, on one hand, you think, oh, gosh, well, now we're teaching people how to be identity thieves. But on the other hand, we're, we're showing the, you know, the public that, hey, this is so easy. These banks have to start doing things differently. And that's right. at least that's my hope. Right. All right. So you had by this time you got an apartment with the kids and you were still doing meth at the time. I was still doing meth. So Very this, much doing a lot of math. Right, because you had money to buy it. Right. You had money to buy it, and then it also kept you up so you could, like, <laughs> you could work real hard and, and be pretty energetic and fill out these, uh, do all this work on the computer, huh? Right, and I had actually, at that point, I had gotten, I was, the guy I was buying meth from, I had actually gotten into a relationship with him, so it was, the meth was constantly there, and he That was, was easy, yeah. Yeah, he was the one that was, mostly in charge of stealing all the mail and we were like a team yeah so that's what i was going to ask you so so how at this point when you stopped working with this this woman who who you were kind of her patsy what what happened to that relationship was she mad that you went out and you were doing your own thing oh absolutely not at all she uh under you know there was many people in line to take my job oh right right everybody who was on meth that needed money she yeah Right. Right, right. So we shared information every now and then, and we still hung out and got high together. So you were almost like a, a whole group that was doing this, is that right? There were, yeah, there were several of us. And you were, so So tell me, how how did you get these identities? What were you doing to get the identities so that you could actually make up these new checks? Stealing mail was okay. the, the number one way. Yeah, and I thought it was amazing. I think you really amazed the Montel audience when you said not to put your mail in the mail bins because you know on the on the corners because that's what you guys stole. Why don't you tell about that? I think that was pretty amazing. People were just in shock. Yeah, they were. Uh huh. It was. Yeah, it was funny. Uh, not funny, but it was I mean, their reaction. Yes, yes. No, it is funny. I mean that that you go and steal a whole one of those big boxes on the street. Right. <laughs> How did yeah. you guys do that? Well, it wasn't, it was mostly, it was the guys that did it, the guys that we were hanging out with, because those things are bolted to the sidewalk. Right. So they went and they, they, I'm not sure which tools they used, but they did remove all the bolts and everything, and they took it off the, it was in front of a business, so at night when there were all, all the business owners were gone and everything, it was dark, so they were able to do it at night. Right, and no one probably even questioned it. No one ever even questioned it. Well, it, eventually I was questioned about it, but 
um, they so they took it they stole it at night and they somehow got all the bolts out of the sidewalk and then you know they were just moving it around from corner to corner and people were putting their mail in it so we didn't it wasn't <laughs> like we had to do anything <laughs> I, it, we shouldn't be laughing but all three of us are sitting here laughing <laughs> just like everybody did in motel you know it's just like oh gosh i mean how it's an easy thing to do it i is. mean once you do you just move it around and everybody puts the mail in it's like it's like a candy store yeah. okay let's move the candy store around and get all the mail right okay so you would steal the mail Okay, and then what would you do? Um, somebody would just bring all the mail and dump it in somebody's living room, or how did that work? We did. We uh, Well, at night, um, when we would go around to different mailboxes, we know which areas we had already been to, so, you know, we had a... Before we even left, we knew where we were going, or... Um, and it was the guy I was dating. He was the one that usually got out because he'd have to open up some of the mailboxes with the crowbar. Like the business ones, you had to open up with the crowbar and... You know, just get it and go, and then you'd go home and look through everything you got and see what you have to work with. Right, so you just opened the mail, and if there was a, a what would you do if you found a check? Would you acid wash the checks? Did you I do any of that? No, we never did that. You didn't bother with that? You just no. made up new checks? It's probably Yeah, just, just put all the information into the computer and made new checks. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit more about that, because I'm not sure everybody can really understand. What you did is the the, the bottom... Um, of your check has the routing number and the account number, right? Right. And so all you did was take that and, you know, what I've seen, and you tell me if I'm right, Tammy, from what I've seen of people who've actually been identity thieves, is the uh, the routing number and the account number is truly their account number, but the bank that's written on the check may not, and the logo may not even be their bank. Right. And and they may and it may not even be their name. It might be Mickey Mouse or something. And the address may be wrong, but somehow because that strip with those numbers goes through the bank without anybody looking at it, the money still comes directly out of that account. Right. So, when you guys um would make up these checks, would you really use the real name of the person or would you just make up another name or would you use the real name of the bank? How did how did you all do this? Well, when we um, we used checks for two different things, to go into a bank, obviously, and cash money, or into King Supers and cash money, um, and then personal people's personal checking accounts to go shopping. So when we went shopping and we had Oh, to so you these, went shopping, you would use personal checks. When you would go to the bank to cash, you'd use uh, com- company checks? Right. Or at times we did use personal people's personal checking accounts and go to the bank and cash them, too. You just can't get as much money. They right. start questioning it. If, you know, you go in there with a $900 personal check, they'll question it. Right, right. So we did. And when we did go shopping with the checks, we didn't ha- we never put their name on it. You, whatever ID you had, you changed it. You kept the routing number and the banking and your account number the same, but you changed the name at the top of the check. Right. They, so have you no way of, they have no way of verifying that information. Right. So you wouldn't put your real name. You would make up a name, or what would you do? You'd use somebody else's name? Whatever <laughs> ID we were using at the time. Okay. And so how did you make up these IDs? Uh, stole, you know, people would, I'd give people drugs for IDs that they had stolen from women or, you know, out of cars, um, different Diff- we never actually made a whole fake ID. You okay, so you would just buy ID. it. Yeah, you would just buy it. In right. other words, you had the money at this point, or and, and your boyfriend had the drugs, so you could trade drugs for identities, right? Right. So we were just giving people money or drugs for IDs. And the IDs would be that, that they had stolen purses, or they had, how did they do it? Or they had gotten stuff out of the trash, or, or they had done something online how did they do that um they were stealing purses uh getting stuff out of trash different just breaking into houses i imagine okay breaking into houses. did they do anything um online do you think that they stole anything like um you know like we hear about these security breaches do you think any of that came from stealing maybe a, a laptop i don't think any of the information i ever used was that no. Okay, so that's really a good point to make is that people think, oh, if I'm, I'm safe if I don't go online, but really and truly a lot of identity theft is through the mail and other stolen stuff that's really just offline, right? Right, yeah. Right. Okay. I so, don't even think when I was doing it that I had Internet at that time. 
Okay. So you were just using the computer to make up the checks. You weren't right. even bothering with the internet or trying to verify anybody's identity. Right. So um, h- how would you pick your... Okay. Oh, yeah. Well, Lloyd wants me to introduce you again because I'm getting so excited about how this interview is. You're so interesting, Tammy, telling us what happened that I forgot to interview you again. I just want to say that we're talking here this evening with Tammy Carroll. Tammy is a reformed methamphetamine addict. Um, She is clean, and she has also um, gone through hell. But she is also a reformed identity thief, and she is sharing her story to really help people to know how to protect themselves and what not to get into. You know, it's real scary for me when I think that we're sitting on the campus of the University of California and kids try drugs. I mean, you know, I mean, I was in college. I, everybody tries it, you know, right. just like drinking. And I just get scared to think these kids might say, oh, let's take some meth tonight and maybe we'll stay up and study. And, hey, this feels pretty good. And, and, and what are they going to get into and how it could just tear their life apart? Yeah, it's definitely devastating. Right. So we're talking to Tammy Carroll. So, Tammy, I, I wanted to go back in and about. So you really didn't pick people to steal their identities, did you? No. No, it was yep. just it was just like very impersonal. Very impersonal. Um, I can't. I yeah, very impersonal. Nobody was selected or watched or picked out of a line. You know, I didn't check to see if this person had good credit. It was whatever mailbox or whatever you know we had available to us at that time. Right, right. So, so you know, some people think, oh, so why did they do this to me? Well, a lot of times they don't even know you. Right. <laughs> they don't know you. You're just you're just um, a bank account. Right. Or you're just money. And and so how did you did you ever think at this point about the victims? What were your thoughts? I mean, was that just like the farthest thing from your mind or what was going on in your head? Well, I actually I did think about that. And a lot of times I justified it. I would tell myself that, you know, everybody's money is federally insured and they would get it back. And so I was trying to my own guilt right. by telling myself, you know, they would get their money back. And I actually did at one time, uh, one of the victims of, one of my victims, he had noticed that somebody had cashed a check and he had actually found me. I, I'd gotten his account really easy through a friend. It was a friend's father-in-law. Oh my goodness. So, you know, he actually figured it out and he refused to press charges. How and, did he find you, Tammy? Well, he had just I don't know exactly. I couldn't tell you how. He just did it through his um, son's girlfriend. Oh, so he he saw something was stolen, then he saw maybe a, he wondered because it was a family member or yeah, a friend. Yeah, it was too they close. They gave up my information. Right. So when he found out about this and he he went to the bank to say, hey, you know, this this isn't my check? Right. He went to U.S. Bank, and apparently they had told him that... Um, it was up to the bank to pursue charges or to f- to go further with it, and right. that it was under, I don't even remember what it was for, I think it was like $650, that it was such a small amount that it would be more cost, cost it would cost more for them to pursue charges and to go after me than it would just to drop it. So, so they, they just dropped it. But they put the money back for him? They put the money back for him. Right. So, so that's another thing. They didn't do anything about it, so that helps facilitate it, too. Right. So right. I was like, well, the man, you know, I kept telling myself, especially after that, everybody's going to get their money back. Right. And that helped you justify it. Right. So, so how much did you, how long did you do this, I guess, is the question. It was right around a whole year. A year. And in that year. The shy of a year. Yeah. In that year, about how much money do you think you were able to to gather either through cash or through whatever you bought? How much do you think it, that you got out of it? It's, that's a tough tough number to come up with. On the I would on the indictment and there on the indictment there are six people charged. Uh-huh. The indictment is for six people, and there was a quarter of a million dollars taken. Wow! So and that was in one year. That was in one year. So about how much cash do you think you actually got? actual cash on hand I, I couldn't I over a hundred thousand probably wow and and then you were able to buy stuff for your kids and and you in is that how you paid for your you weren't doing any other job right no I wasn't working I was just paying my bills and 
the kids had all kinds of new clothes and toys, and the fridge was full all from that. Right. Now, did your did your kids question anything? Your ten year old or? Um, her and my son did. My oldest son, they did question everything, and um, they did catch on, and they knew what was going on. And what um, did you tell them when they would they say, "Mommy, how are you doing this? How are we having these?" gifts and and you're not working how is this all happening well for a long time i pretended to have a job oh i see and then they you know they caught on after after a while and i'd been you know getting high you know i just i let it slip and they knew and you know kids are as long as they have their new bike and clothes and they're eating they're yeah they were okay yeah now, Tammy, did you have any uh, family or friends around that were not in this whole kind of a deal that were worried about you or that questioned anything like this? Yeah, I had, well, my mom and my dad and um, my ex-husband's mom were all very concerned and, um, you know, kept questioning me, and what are you doing, and you look terrible, and, you know, the kids are not looking so good, they and I just finally, you know, I shut him out of my life, and I didn't talk to him for a long time. Right, so that was your way of kind of avoiding them? Right. Right, and and they didn't do anything about it? They they didn't pursue it, or they just kind of let you do your own thing at that point? Yeah, kind of, yeah. Yeah. And it didn't take long. I mean, the kids were taken away in about six months after it happened. So now, they, how did that happen? Um, that's a very long story. Actually, um, something had happened to my daughter, my youngest daughter, yeah. She uh, was kind of sexually harassed by my cousin, or not my cousin, my nephew. Oh, dear. So social services had already been involved, and they had been talking to me, and I had been, um, they had been coming out to the house visiting and stuff like that. And so they could see that the kids were being neglected? Right, and they actually, the police had probably tipped social services off that I was now being watched. Oh. And at that point, they came into the house and took the kids away. Wow. Now, did they say that they were doing it because they could see that you were on meth or what? Yeah. Oh, God. And they, yeah, they did a drug test, and I had come back dirty for methamphetamines. And mm. um, a few people um, that were worried about me, they did talk to them, and they told them what was going on. And so everybody, you know, it was all out in the open, and they knew what I was doing. Oh dear. Yeah. So, so did at that point when they, uh, how was that when the kids were taken away? Ah, uh, that was horrible. I, uh, God, I still remember. I can remember every single minute of that day. Uh, I didn't have any money that day. We had didn't have any drugs, so I was out. Uh, we were making checks and trying to cash them so we could get some drugs, and it was just awful. And I had a message on my cell phone. The kids were being babysit by a friend of mine, and I had a message on my cell phone that social services was on their way over to get them, and I needed to get home immediately. And Hmm. So I got there, and the cops were there, and social services were there, and they let me tell them goodbye, and they wouldn't tell me where they were going and anything. And I I just spent all that day just laying in bed crying and contemplated suicide. and, And after that first day, I just... Instead of it bringing me to reality that I needed to get my act together, it I went totally the opposite way, and I went way more into it than ever before. Right, so you kind of fell into the hole all the way, huh? Yeah. So at that point, but did when the the police were involved in watching you, did they try and arrest you at that point for, for meth or for, uh, well, you weren't selling meth, were you? No, well, I was giving people meth for you know, oh, trading, yeah, you right, were, right. You were trading identities for meth, but I mean, so did they, when they took your kids away, was there any attempt to try and arrest you for for any of the identity theft, or what was going on with that? No, they just continued to watch me and build evidence. Ah, there was a, a group of us that they were watching, and mm. they just continued to gather their evidence. Mm. Tammy, did you guys ever, uh, when you got these identities, did you ever apply for credit cards, too? We never applied for credit cards. We did actually use them when when credit cards would come in the mail. Um, It's very easy to get them activated. You don't really have to call the 1-800 number. All you have to do is, like, go to a prepaid or a credit card paid gas pump. 
Oh. And and put it in there, and that'll activate your credit card. Oh, so so when they tell you when you get your well, this is good to know. Yeah. <laughs> when you get your credit card in the mail, it says you must call this number, and you and it says you know we have verified that this number is really your home number, and we have now activated this American Express. But you're saying you don't have to do that. All you do is you steal the credit card, you go and you go through the. Uh, the at the gas pump, and mm-hmm. you just put it through and put in your zip the zip code, and that's it. And that's it. Interesting. Yeah, <laughs> and that will activate it for you to go shopping. Now you still won't have the pin number to go, you know, get cash back. Right, right. But and at that so, point, you didn't need that because you had the checks. Right, and <laughs> and there were several, you know, especially if the credit card was a, a decent sized credit limit on it. You know, we would go back. Usually, pin numbers will come in the mail four to five days after the credit card, so you just go back and steal the mail again. Right, right. But meanwhile, you could, if you, you would know what the credit limit was because it would have said it by the card. Right. Does it say it like you have a $10,000 credit limit? So if you saw that, would you just like go to town and say, get as much as you can? Shopping, yeah. Yeah, in that 10000 Right. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So, you know, uh, how did you finally get caught? Well, I had been... There were a few times I had been arrested. I and they had let my house was raided on September sixth by the Colorado Bureau of Investigation and the. When was that? Two thousand three. Yeah, September sixth, two thousand. No, September sixth, two thousand two. Oh, two thousand two. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, I was arrested. Um, they raided my house, searched my house, and everything, and they took me to jail pending charges. They didn't now, this charge. is before the kids were. T- this is after the kids were taken away. This was after the kids were taken away, and I had been visiting them at supervised visits through social services and I'd still been getting high and I was uh, faking UAs mm. <laughs> with social services so mm. it was pretty bad and when you say UAs you mean your your analysis yes so so <laughs> how did you do that I was taking in you can buy uh, synthetic urine at like head shops so they have you go in the bathroom by yourself and then you would just pour that in there right okay yeah so I was giving them you know fake urine and Everything was coming back fine, and they were letting me visit the kids at social services and stuff like that. So all these little tricks that you had never known because you were a, a goody two-shoes, you know, in high school and stuff. So all these tricks you really learned from, from your peers, right, from the, from the other methamphetamine addicts and how to, how to do all these little tricks? Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. it didn't take long to learn them all. Yeah, well, you're a good student, so now <laughs> the, the good news is that you're straight, so now you're going to learn really fast. Right. But, but, you know, but that's something. Yeah. All right, so so what happened when you were arrested? I was arrested on September 6th. My house was raided, and they let me go later that night, pending charges. They never officially charged me. Did You, you didn't have to post a bail or anything no, like that? No, they just let me go. Huh, they didn't have enough evidence or what? Um, I'm not sure why they did that, but they just let me go, and they continued to watch me and gather more evidence. So then what happened? So then I packed up everything out of my house, and I put it all in storage because I knew I was being watched, and I was bouncing around. Me and the guy I was dating was bouncing around from motel to motel, and uh, Mm. we were still doing checks and still getting high, and um, I had actually gotten arrested inside of a Walmart for shoplifting. I went into Walmart and used a check. I was ca- I was using somebody else's check, and I was buying things, shopping for stuff. And I had, didn't have a pen to write the check with, and so I opened a package of pens. Oh, dear. And I used one of the pens, and I never even thought about paying for the package of pens. I just tossed it, and so oh. they arrested me for shoplifting. Oh, wow. Here is it. Yeah. <laughs> and then they caught on to the check I had just used because they right. got my ID and they saw the check. So anyway, right. I got a forgery charge out of that, and I bonded out of jail, and, and I was going to court. My court date was January 8, 2003. Now, did you have a public defender, or what did they do to give you? Did you get a regular attorney, or what? how did you do that? I had a public defender at this point. Yeah. And I was going to court on the shoplifting and the forgery charge, and... I had court January 8, 2003, and when I went into the courtroom, um, they arrested me and told me that I was being indicted by a grand jury for, uh, among six other people, there was a total of six of us on this indictment, and the charges, you know, were organized crime, uh, conspiracy, theft, forgery, motor vehicles, there was all kinds of stuff on there. And how did, how, did you see yourself like that before that? I mean, did you see that yourself as a criminal or not at all 
Not at all. I mean, you, you, you have an, an innocent face. When I when I first met you in the elevator, and when we were staying at that hotel, and we were getting ready to go and get our hair done and everything from Montel, mm-hmm. I thought you were a victim, just like the victim thought you were a victim. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean... Um, you look, you look innocent, and and uh, so it was, uh, and you—that's how you saw yourself too, huh? Right, I did totally. So, was that? You said that was the last day that you ever had any drugs. So, what happened when when you were indicted? What was the next step? You had this public defender, and and what was going on? Well, they had indicted six of us, including me and the guy I had been dating and doing this with for, throughout the whole year, and then four other people that we were involved with and that had been part of it. There was a ringleader, hmm. and this was the person that really was doing a lot more than me. Um, Is this so, the person that taught you how to do it or what? No, she actually was not included on this one. She ended up being later indicted on something else. Oh, okay. No, this the guy that was the ringleader, he, uh, I did a few checks for him throughout this whole thing, too, and uh, I don't know how we ended up on the same indictment together because we really didn't do a whole, you know, I, I'm not sure how it all came down, but there were six of us on this indictment. So then what happened after you were indicted? Were you, you were, did you get out on bail or were you still in jail? No, I stayed in jail. The bond was uh, too high and everybody I had, you know, the people I had been associated with, they were all arrested too. Hmm. My family weren't talking to me, so I had nobody to bond me out of jail. So hmm. um, I just sat there. And at this point you couldn't get any drugs. I couldn't get any drugs. I didn't have any money. I, you know, I didn't... I, and I just sat there. <laughs> yeah, so what was that like without getting your drugs at that point? The first couple weeks were really hard on me. Um, after you stop using meth and you're coming down, you're sick and your body aches and it really affects your bones and, like, my teeth were really affected. Mm. It re- I mean, what do you it, mean? Like, they hurt or what, what do you mean they were affected? They just, they rot your teeth at an accelerated rate. Oh. So I had a lot of dental problems and I had to have some teeth removed and, so it was pretty bad. The so what, did, did, did the, in, when you were in jail, did they give you medical treatment, or did they give you anything for this, um, like this, com- when you were coming down? No. no. No, they don't. I mean, you can get Tylenol once a day, but that's it. Mm. So were others in jail trying to find out how to do what you were doing, or what was it? Were you with people who were hardened criminals, or what? Um, I was in one of the more, yeah, there's four dorms, and I was in the maximum security one. Mm. Um, and I was actually in there with the, very, the girl that I very first cast a te- check for. She was arrested in there as well. Wow. So we were kind of cellmates, and um, there was no drugs. and I just pretty much slept a lot, and I was, you know, I had been depressed, and it was, it was getting, my kids weren't visiting me. I hadn't seen my kids in a long time, and it was horrible. Right, right. So, so what happened then? You were in jail until the trial, or and and when? How long? How much later? How did you? Uh, how long were you in jail before you actually had a trial? Um, I let's see. I was arrested January eighth, and I was uh, sentenced. No, I wasn't sentenced. I was. Uh, my trial was in March. Did you do a plea bargain, or did you actually have a trial? I did a plea bargain. And what was your plea? Well, I was. I had. Uh, charges in six different counties in Colorado. Wow. So they were trying to all work together and see what they could come up with. And I ended up not having a public defender anymore because it was uh, conflict of interest because oh. of our co-defendants. So they appointed me another a private lawyer, and um, they all worked together, all the counties worked together, and I ended up pleading guilty to a, a felony in each county. So I have six felonies right now on my record. Uh, I have three F4 thefts and three F5 forgeries. So what are F5 forgeries? What are what does that mean? It's the and, class of felony. Okay, so so that's a, a very, um, what is it? It goes from class one, or like F1 to F6. F1 being murder, F6 being, the, you know, the smallest. The least, yeah, the smallest. And yeah. yours was F5, did you say? I have, yeah, three F4s and three because F5s. Because it was economic crime rather than, than um, any kind of violent crime. Right. 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 Wow. So, so I, I, stayed, I stayed in jail the whole time, and, and after... Um, how long was that, that you had to stay in jail after... Oh, yeah. How I was l- in jail from January 8th to September 17th. Of this year? No. No. No, of the 2003? Right. Right, 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 right. And then what happened? You got out on, on parole, or what, what was it? 
I was sentenced to six years community corrections to be served at uh, the Pier 1 Haven program. And what's that? It's a therapeutic community uh, behavior modification drug treatment facility. Hmm. And, and how does that work? You, it's very, it's a two to three year program and uh, you live, you're, it's inpatient drug treatment. It's very confrontational. It's very therapeutic. Uh, it's a very tough program to get through. I lived there at their facility and, and followed all their rules until I made it to outpatient and I graduated in December of '05 from that program and now I'm just serving my sentence trying wow. to finish it. Congratulations. So Thank your you. sentence, in, in terms of serving your sentence, is that like attending group therapy or how are you doing your, your sentence? I Right now, um, since I've graduated the treatment center, I am... I meet with my case manager two times a month. I'm doing random breathalyzers and random UAs, yeah, um, which averages out to about two a month, two UAs a month. And then I go to group uh, relapse prevention type group once a month. Right. And how did you get your kids back? Um, I my youngest daughter. I actually got her first, Samantha, and she had been living with her dad. Her dad had gotten custody of her when I was in jail, and he had. He was the one that was very uh, abusive to me. Oh, great. And so she was having a really hard time, and he was actually doing stuff that he shouldn't have been doing. He's in jail. He's actually in prison now for stealing Harley-Davidson. So, oh, gosh. Yeah, she wasn't having a good time at all. And so I actually went to court, and um, he was hiding her from me and hiding her from the police. And Oh, dear. How I old was she? Um, she's nine now, so that was two years ago, so she was seven. Oh, just a little tight, yeah. Yeah. But I finally, the cops finally found her, and they returned her to me, and I have full custody now. Thank goodness. Yeah, and then the oldest two, my oldest two from my first husband, their grandma ended up with them. She got custody of them, and once I graduated and and I established myself, um, she returned custody willingly to me. Oh, that's good. And then how about, was it the baby that was adopted out? Yeah, the baby, he actually, his birthday is Friday. He's going to be five Friday. Oh. And I haven't seen him since just before his first birthday was the last time i seen him, so it's been a little over four years that oh. I haven't seen him. And he was adopted by a, a family, a, a husband and wife, that are not able to have children. And I got, about March of this year, they finally sent me some updated pictures and, and let me know how he's doing, so... And that he does know he's adopted, and at some point in his life, they said they, you know, he they will tell him and will want us to meet, just right, not right now. Right, right. Well, this gives you a chance to get your life together a little bit, and at least you know that he's in a safe place, right? And he's doing well, and that was a that was a loving thing that he was adopted out into a good family, right? So let's talk a little bit out uh, a little bit about. Um, what you're doing with your life now. I mean, besides doing the program, you're, you're doing some good work, too. Right. Yes, I, uh, when I got out of the treatment center, actually, I had been um, referred to a place called New Genesis because I didn't have a place to live. I was homeless, basically. Right, right. And so they referred me to a place called New Genesis, and New Genesis um, has two different programs, a woman and a men's, and um they placed me into the women's program and put me in a two-bedroom apartment and, you know, helped me get a job and, and just basically establish myself. And so I was a client, and after a while of being a client and being successful and, you know, continuously progressing in the in the program, they asked me to start mentoring the women. Right. And that was very, very part-time. I was doing telemarketing as my my full-time job and, and oh, hated gosh. every minute of it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it Talk about horrible. privacy piracy, you know? <laughs> yeah, it was not very fun. So now are you full-time working for, so, for, yeah. Yeah, now after being a mentor and doing that part-time, they brought me on full-time. And, and since then, I've been promoted twice. And now I'm uh, basically running the whole everything, the women and the men's program. Right. That's wonderful. Yes, and it's 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 very wonderful. I mean, if it wasn't for Pier 1 in the Haven and, and New Genesis, I don't know where I'd be. Right. They basically saved my life. Well, let's, let's talk about kind of a helicopter view because you have really lived this. Um, and like we said, going through the dark night of the soul. And um, 
What do you think needs to change? What, you know, uh, this whole thing. First of all, meth kind of leads you into this identity theft because you have to have the money, and then you're up and atom and energetic to, to steal this stuff. Right. So on one hand, I mean, what when you think about this, what can we do in our society to keep us from getting into the meth? Is there any, Do you have any thoughts about that, or is it just beyond belief? Well, I you know... I think that there needs to be more resources for uh, drug addicts. There, like the treatment program I went to that got me clean, um, there's only one in the state of Colorado. There's one therapeutic community like that wow. in the state of Colorado. So there's not a lot of uh, places, rehabs, where somebody without you know, a, fifth, you know, a huge job, paying job, can go to get right, help. Right, right. It's expensive. Right. So that's one thing is we don't do enough for, for people who have this problem and who get addicted and who get into this this um, downward spiral. Right, yeah, there's definitely not enough resources and help for that. The other thing that I wanted to talk to that we talked about on Montel, which was that whole thing about identity theft, and you and you've, you heard the, the horror story, you know, from Eric about what he went through, and then, of course, um, backstage about Elisa. So... You know, we talked about the fact that, that it's so easy. So what do you think should change? What do you think should happen so that it isn't so easy for you to do that? A lot of, you know, a lot of the financial industries, the banks and the stores, if they just paid attention and brought their awareness up a little bit would be a, a huge help. I, you know, it just drives me nuts that anybody can go in and make up a check with my checking routing number and my account number, put Mickey Mouse or, or you know, Popeye on the, on the check and, and siphon the money out of my account. Yeah. There's something wrong with that, right? It is. It's terrible. And, and that's what a lot of people that are doing that look for. They go into a store, they go into a bank, or they go, you know, into one of these places, and they look for, you know, the 21-year-old girl that's laughing and giggling and flirting with the guy next door. Or, right. You know, they look for that stuff. Right, right. They look for somebody who's going to be an easy, easy prey to go ahead and and cash that check, right? Right, right. And so. and someone cute like you could go up to somebody and and be real bubbly and and oh. go ahead and just ch- cash it. So they're not they're not training. The financial industry is not training their people on verifying and authenticating who the person is, or even verifying that the check belongs to that checking account, right? Right, yeah, all, all it would take would, th- would be for them to pay attention and actually, you know, look up in the computer, take a few minutes and verify. Unbelievable. So, and that, and, and, and selling, you know, selling the, the programs in a, in a store where anybody can go in there and buy it for less than $50. right. Well, you know, but on the other hand, though, like if I want to make a, I don't use checks, and I tell people not to use checks just because of what you were able to do. You know, I tell them you're safer using a credit card, right? Because if if you use a credit card and you see anything that you're going to dispute on that credit card, you never have to pay it. You didn't lose the money to begin with to beg for the money back, right? You just say, hey, this is fraudulent, and and if they're going to be that, um, if the financial industry is going to be that negligent, then you know, if they're going to lose the money, not me. Right. Yeah. So um, what did you learn about yourself through all this? I mean, you kind of went through a, a you know, kind of a whole transformation. Definitely. A big <laughs> transformation. Two different transformations. Right. Um, I basically, you know, I've learned how to, instead of holding on to guilt and dwelling on the terrible things I did do to people, I learned to use it in a positive way and help people, which is why I tell my story and which is why I'm in the work I'm in and, you know, I'm continuing on in college so I can help drug addicts and do things like that. So I've learned to use my past in a positive way and, and you know, I, 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 I'm very remorseful for what I did, but I do not, I do not let guilt drive me back anything like that again well guilt is negative and it and it's you know it's just anger at oneself and if you get angry at yourself then it demotivates you and then you can't do all the good work so right. you know if you can um you know look at it from a, a a view from above and say gee you know it probably doesn't even seem like that was you right it doesn't it's it's like a whole different person and it was a whole different person right yeah 
So in terms of, of the financial industry, what do you, what about our society? You know, the way that we have all this easy credit. Um, have you thought about that? Like, you, you know, you've been on, now you're on our show, you were on Montel's show, we were talking about, remember we talked on the, on the show about, like, what needs to happen. Um, what do you think needs to happen in our society um, as a whole with regard to the, the financial industry and credit and all that stuff? Uh, I, as far as you mean politic-wise or just people, just society in general? Well, and both. Both. You know, at this point, you know, unless something is drastically done, people just need to really be aware and protect themselves as far as society goes, like, you know, with the mail and with checking their credit and not applying for all those credit cards and doing those things. People just really need to protect themselves because I don't see anything being done by the government or anybody else to change how easy it is and 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 how people do it yeah i i think what what happens with ordinary persons they they have to write their checks to to get their groceries they use their credit card so that they can you know um purchase the 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 new refrigerator that they need when their refrigerator goes bad do you know what i mean i mean they're just living their own lives i don't think that Ordinary people really have the power to right. change what these banks are doing. I think, no. at least from my perspective, if you know, if, if you're acting in good faith and, and you use a check and you have no idea that if I send my check to um, you know to pay San Diego Gas and Electric, that it's going to get stolen on a corner because somebody's going to take the whole right. <laughs> mail bags right. and dump it in and and just you know use that checking number to take all the money out of my account. I mean right. that that's really going to be beyond the control of the people. Um, what do you think about, is there something we can do about stolen mail? What do you think should happen about that that would stop you or other people from doing that kind of thing? Well, I think I think everybody should have to go inside a post office to be able to mail mail. I mean, and then, you're of course, you're always, there's always criminals. I mean, the law can do one thing, and criminals are going to do something right. to overcome that. They can get creative that. like you guys got. <laughs> right. Everybody, you know, it's constantly going to be a battle, but... You know, if you continue to eliminate things, it's going to make it eventually easier. I think that people should have to go inside the post office to mail things. Right. And, you know, I don't know if everybody should have a post office box, the new locking mailboxes, and they actually have right. now mailboxes where if somebody pries it open, it will take a picture of you. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, they have that now. So, I mean, people can do things like that to prevent the, the stolen mail. Well, that would be interesting if they did that with the with the post office boxes on the street. But, yeah, but, yeah I mean, a, a, a locking mailbox is a good idea, and right. that's something that we, we always talk about, that it's a good idea that at least then you can't steal the mail. You know, I don't know, Tammy, if you knew that I, I was a victim of identity theft in my thief, was in her mid-30s. She was a methamphetamine addict. She had a 12-year-old daughter, and um, she she had stolen my identity and and was, you know, making up checks and didn't use my checking account, but was making up checks with my name and getting credit cards in my name and doing all that stuff. And, and she also was, you know, a single mom. Mm -hmm. and, and actually, that's kind of the profile right. of, of women. And when you when you think about the people who were in your group and in your team or whatever you want to call it, um, how many were men and how many were women? Just about half and half. Right. Now you don't think like that a violent crime. No. Um, this is a crime that really it, it isn't something that you have to face your victim. Right. And and that's why I was thinking when you said when I asked you about you know how did you think about your victims you really didn't think that they were going to be victimized right I didn't I didn't even consider that they were a victim I was mostly focused on the money that belonged to the bank right right so so at that point I would assume you didn't really feel like you were a criminal you were really not hurting them you were only taking money from the bank For, or from the government yeah because you know it was all federally insured so I never actually thought about what I was doing to people and you know until later you know my methamphetamine um, addict who was the imposter it was interesting when I I never got to meet her but I read what she wrote to the probation department etc and she said 
you know, what did Mari care? I mean, it wasn't her money. Wow. It was it was the bank's money. And and I think that was the part that is hard to understand. It 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 isn't the money that you lose, it's what you have to go through to get your life back or to prove to the bank, you know, who it is. Right. When you went uh, to trial, did you were any of the victims there? Did any of them testify? None of the victims were there. They um a couple of them had wrote statements, and I was able to read a few of the statements, but because I didn't go all the way to trial, I took a plea bargain. Right, right. I, I never had to listen to their testimony, but I did read a few of their statements. There was the one vi- woman in particular that I, uh, she had actually been arrested, and oh. they had charged her with forgery and things like that because I was using, you know, her name. Oh, so she then had had to go through all of this criminal identity right, theft. Right, and she had to prove herself innocent. And, I, you know, I, when I read that, I just felt horrible. I, I mean, I couldn't even tell you how bad I felt. Yeah, because now she actually has that on her record, right. which is not very easy to clean up. No, not at all. Even if, you know, it was never you, it's still going to be on your record. Right, right. So you read the victim impact statements. Were there any others that, that kind of touched you? That was the about the only one. The other ones were pretty general, you know. This, you know, I I got my bank statement and I saw this, and right. the other ones were pretty general. But that one was pretty personal. Did you ever contact that woman? No. Did you? I asked my lawyer if I should or if I should apologize, or you know, and they said no. You know, I'll tell you something, Tammy. I I would suggest that now that you are really getting your life together it would be really a neat thing to contact her and and just write an apology letter maybe to you know to the da to give to her right you know so that you know and just say that i it really touched me and i've turned my life around and i'm really sorry that you know that makes a big difference as a victim myself i can tell you if if my uh imposter she was just really arrogant about it throughout the entire process. She did a plea bargain as well. But if she would have said, wow, I didn't know this was really going to hurt her, and I didn't realize what I was going to do to her, because I wrote a victim impact statement about all that I went through, and she never said anything. So I think it would be a really uh, healing thing for you to do as well as for her, since she, you know, thank God you weren't a violent criminal, but, but still you really did make an impact on her life. Right, yeah, that's definitely a good idea. Well, uh, Lloyd says we only just have a couple minutes left. So um, would you like to give any advice to our our audience? We're sitting here on the university campus, but we also have business people driving by and people listening in on the Internet. So what would you like to to say that you can say to the world now? (laughs) (laughs) That's heavy. I'm sorry, Tammy. (laughs) That's okay. Um, What I would like to say, I would like, you know, that people can change their lives. A lot of people kind of throw people away once they've done something wrong that people can change and you know to honestly I hope to reach drug addicts that are currently doing this and and for them to know that life is so much better without that that you know the 40 hours a week I'm putting in right now and the little bit of money I'm making compared to what was before is so much more fulfilling than anything I ever done before Right. And and as we're sitting here on the campus, and I worry about because, you know, kids are away from home and they want to try new things. I mean, I remember, you know, I was a, I was a college kid in the 60s. So, you right. know, that tells you right away. And I know what it's like. And yeah. I just want to tell those people who are listening on this campus, you know, take heed of what Tammy went through, the, the, the hell. And, and she's now, you know, brought herself out of it. But um, you're a testimony, you know, you're really... Um, give great testimony about what what this is all about, and I and I really honor you for sharing your story and and helping others now, Tammy. I I, I thank you so much. Thank you. Well, we will stay in touch, and um, we hope to talk to you and, and hear wonderful things from from you about. Uh, maybe I'll find out if you did contact that. A poor woman who I was will, the victim yeah. of criminal identity theft. And, I will try that. And then we'll also find out about all the great things you're doing to help people to avoid this. And maybe you'll get some laws passed to get some more um, wonderful programs, therapeutic programs for people. Cause, I sure hope so. Okay, Tammy, thank you so much. Okay. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. All right. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. 
You uh, have been listening to Privacy Piracy. I'm Mari and my great engineer, Lloyd, and my wonderful uh, intern who's joined us. And hopefully he'll get a show. Asan, and what kind of show do you want, Asan? Um, me and my uh, co-host, who's also my friend, uh, we're planning to do a video game review kind of show about just, you know, different types of video games, the things that are coming up for young kids. Sounds fun. Yeah. Okay. So please uh, look at our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy and see our upcoming great VIP guests. Listen to our previous interviews right there, uh, audio streaming, and download our podcast or click on a podcast. You can see bios and pictures of all of our guests. Thank you again and good evening. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.